Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation. Man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts. Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Cause Stone Cold sets up. If you're gonna blitz, come strong. But don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe, and gentlemen, we have a coaching staff to talk about this week. Steve Sarkeesian's 10-man staff is complete, and we will talk about that uh, and maybe get into some roster stuff here on this latest edition of Longhorn Blitz. All right, let's not waste any time. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz. He's a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. Matt, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, and I'm smiling right now because I, I feel like an old man because when you said a 10-man staff, my mind thought of Wizard of Oz for a split second, and then I was like, no, 10-person staff, okay. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, okay, I can see how you made the connection. Uh, we'll, we'll try to make it a little less confusing as we uh, – as we move forward. Now, just my part, Sarkeesian no confusion. Uh, a man who's been around for his share of coaching changes as a player, as a media representative, and, of course, as our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers, Rod B, have you uh, done your fair share of you done your fair share of cyber stalking on this new staff already? Uh, I've done, yeah, I've done a good amount of it already. I was already, I mean, most of the reports uh, that you guys at uh, Horns Two Four Seven did a really good job of were leaning the right way. So we've known for a while about a lot of these, and a lot of these guys are familiar names. You know, I mean, the, I, not only the guys that he retained, but Bo Davis is a familiar name. Um, hell, I've been studying Kwiatkowski forever because I just love Washington's defense. And right. so I've been knowing about that for a while. So, yeah, it, it, with all the familiarity, uh, I didn't have to go deep rabbit holing uh, in my cyber stalking after these coaches. But it was really interesting the way the staff was put together. Well, uh, it was officially introduced on Friday, at least nine of the ten. A.J. Milwee is the quarterback's coach. Stan Drayton retained as the running back's coach. Andre Coleman retained 
as the receivers coach. Jeff Banks coming over from Alabama as the associate head coach, or assistant head coach, excuse me, tight ends coach and special teams coordinator. Kyle Flood is the offensive line coach, and he will have the OC title on the defensive staff. As we mentioned, Pete Kwiatkowski from Washington is the defensive coordinator. Jeff Choate was not formally introduced on Friday, but he is headed to Texas as the co-defensive coordinator and inside linebackers. Coach Kwiatkowski will work with the outside linebackers. Bo Davis working with the defensive line. Terry Joseph working with the secondary and is the defensive pass game coordinator. And Blake Gideon coming back to the 40 Acres to work with the safeties. So, Rod, I'll start with you. Now that we know this is the staff, we we talked about it last week, just in terms of the 30,000-foot view, what you like, what you didn't like. Now that this is the staff, other than the fact that Mike Stoops is not a part of it, did anything surprise you? Uh, any, anything stand out now that, that it is complete? This is the staff that's going to lead Texas football in 2021. Um, no, nothing really surprised me. I, I, I like the staff, though. I do think it's a, a staff of really good coaches. I like the, the the variety in the staff. I like that there's some old blood, some new blood, and there was thought about, nah, we don't want to be too old. We don't have, we don't have too much experience. We do want um, the kind of the youthful invigoration, if you will, right, of having young, hungry coaches that are climbing the ladder on your staff. That's important. Um, but you also do want to have enough of that savvy, wise coaching experience throughout the year. So you do have a nice mix, right? Kyle Flood's been a, a head coach. He's your staff, and Kwiatkowski's been around for a long time. There are a lot of ties. You've talked about this, Jeff. I do like that there are some ties, but then there's enough – um, room to grow between the staff, right? There are some connections right. with these guys that go back, Jeff Banks and uh, Kwiatkowski and uh, Kwiatkowski now and Jeff Choate, of course, had their connections. So there are a lot of connections. I mean, Sark talked about him and Andre Coleman and how he wanted to bring him on before and you guys reported that. and uh, That actually made me feel a little bit better about the Andre Coleman uh, uh, the plan to retain him as wide receivers coach as well. So I, I do. I like it. I mean, we don't know if it's going to be a great staff. I mean, right now it looks like it checks all the boxes. The truth of the matter is these things are really, uh, you know, they're delicate. They really are. I mean, Mac Brown, I thought, hired a home run staff when he hired Manny Diaz and Brian Harson and had that, you know, had that, that staff yeah. with a lot of former head coach, Major Applewhite on that staff, and Oscar Giles, and Hell Bo Davis, all that kind of stuff. And yet, that staff wasn't able to bring Texas football back to championship uh, level competition. And though now separate, those those coaches are considered all really good coaches, and they're doing really well. Man, Diaz is doing well. So is Brian Harson. And yet here at Texas, as a cohesive unit, um, the individual parts did not necessarily um, lead to a championship product when you brought them all together. So that's the key, right? How do they work together? What's the collaborative, cohesive um, product that is um, that happens as a result of him bringing all these different personalities together, these different coaching styles and philosophies? That's the key. And that's on Sark. Sark's got to figure that out. You talked about Mac Brown's first staff a lot. And I've heard you don't like the town. It's a brilliant breakdown. Um, that staff 
ended up being a you know a, a championship staff and at least the the core of it ended up he tweaked some things but uh, Mac had the right amount of guys he brought from North Carolina right amount of guys he uh, decided to upgrade right and and bring up from the lower ranks he went out and got some uh, co- coaches from uh, different avenues of of college football to try to assemble that staff so you just really never know Tom Herman did it wrong because he was he was too comfortable and brought too many guys from Houston and wanted that alignment was his big thing and he was wrong about it and charlie strong you know also made some mistakes in his staff and i didn't and didn't really try to flex enough i think sark's doing the right amount of flexing right yeah. taking some of those alabama guys jeff banks paying a big uh look big money for an assistant coach so i think all those things played a role uh, i like the staff but there's no guarantee that the staff is going to be a staff that ends up winning you the Big 12 and getting you to the college football playoff. That's just no guarantee for that. Yeah, and you put it well there, Rod, when talking about, you know, the previous staffs and us as Texas fans, how we've seen different staffs being created different ways. And this is sort of with Sark, you know, like the idea that there's no cookie-cutter way and every single time is going to have its own uniqueness. And you can just sort of see with Sark's staff here the marrying of everything in between. Like there's some connective tissue that he has with previous staff members going back to the Washington guys. Or then there's the connective tissue when you can look at other coaches that had – I mean, hell, Blake Gideon was on that 2011 team that saw that whole accumulation and had Bo Davis – as a coach, but then there's the connective tissue with him to Texas, but also he was recently at Ole Miss, who was where Lane Kiffin is, one of Sark's closest coaching buddies that had been around and forever. So, like, you can see his ability to have guys that not only connect back to him or he has people that he trusts and people that work well together or maybe philosophically see the same thing, but also you have the ability with Texas's money just bring out the checkbook and go get who you want and be able to marry all the three together and accumulate a staff that he feels will be one that could have say alignment but also be one that has the big time top end type coaches that you really prefer and ones that even have experience or understanding of texas and that the fan base endorses so, guys, I want to look at the staff in terms of the roster, and let's just kind of go down the list and look at what each of these coaches is going to be working with and, you know, what kind of their big off-season task is. And, again, you know, off-season workouts, they're already working with Tory Becton, the new director of football performance, who's taking Yancey McKnight's place. So the off-season is off and running as much as it can be. We'll see – you know, if there are any pauses, uh, any interruptions, if they get to spring ball. But let's start, just go down the list, and let's start with quarterback, guys. And A.J. Milwe, and we know Steve Sarkeesian in the staff introduction said basically A.J. Milwe is his right-hand man. And, guys, uh, whichever one of you guys wants to take this, feel free. But I just find it interesting that when you look at Sam Ellinger departing, you look at what's left on the roster, do you guys realize Steve Sarkeesian is the first head coaching hire in the post Daryl Royal era at Texas that is not inheriting a quarterback that has at least one career start. Like Fred Akers had, I think Martin McBath started four games in a 76 season. David McWilliams, or David McWilliams gets the job. Brett Stafford's already the quarterback. John Makovic gets the job. Peter Gardere had multiple years as a starter. Hmm. Mac Brown takes the job. Richard Walton, it had only been like two games, but at least Richard Walton had starting experience. Charlie Strong comes in. He's got David Ash. Tom Herman comes in. He's got Shane Bouchelle. 
Steve Sarkeesian comes into this job, guys, and A.J. Milwee is the quarterback's coach. Casey Thompson, the, the Alamo Bowl is the most we've seen him play. Hudson Card, we've seen him in spurts as a true freshman. But that's it. There's no big game experience, at least starting experience, in that quarterback room. It's a heck of a challenge for Steve Sarkeesian and A.J. Milwee year one. I don't think so. Um, I, 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 I like that stat. It's a great stat. But when you think about the era of quarterbacks that we're living in, you see more freshman quarterbacks transition to the highest levels of football quicker than we've ever seen, right? Because they're spread babies. They grow up with the spread passing game. They're like Neo in the Matrix. They got the seven-on-seven seven camps. They got private quarterback coaches. They got, I mean, the proliferation of spread offense. They're throwing more than ever at the high school level. And I think because the game, the passing game is so advanced, it's not the same as when those old school coaches were. Even when Matt Brown was yeah, even with major the quarterbacks who come on campus now, guys, they are so much more advanced than quarterbacks were back in the day. Because as I point out, they're spread babies. They grow up mm-hmm. in these spread ever, so they understand passing concepts. They get more passing reps than anybody else. So I, I, I get you, and I agree with you. It's a concern, but to me, it's not a grave concern because, as we pointed out, Tom Herman, although tragically, uh, you know, he, he he did not bring Texas back, but he did improve some things on the 40 acres, and one of them, and we've talked about this, Jeff, is the quarterback room. He did a great job of infusing mm-hmm. tons of talent in that quarterback room and giving you a little bit of cushion, anticipating the transfer rate and anticipating guys get injured and all change positions, all that kind of stuff in texas by the way has had all those things happen uh, at the quarterback position in the last four or five years and yet still they have talent there right now with casey thompson and hudson card and i think because of that because of that mindset that mentality for tom herman which left the texas quarterback room in a much better place they were in quarterback hell when tom herman and sam ellinger got here and now texas has first world quarterback problems now we don't have third world quarterback problems it's a, it's a quarterback competition not a battle of attrition so yes a concern i totally agree with you i love that stat too but i don't think it's a grave concern because we just had a different era of young quarterbacks and i like the fact that sark is a quarterback nurturer quarterback guru that's what he does as well i think the combination of factors doesn't have that as the for sark it should be his number one priority because quarterback position is something you got to get solidified but as a as an outsider looking in to me i don't think that's going to be a a you know, I don't think it's something that's going to potentially be the end of the uh, the season. It'll be the downfall of the season for Sark's first year. I think Texas is in a good spot when it comes to quarterback. Yeah, and when you talk about the situation, first off, it's just bizarre that it plays out that way, that like when you have a coach leaving and also have the senior leaving, you would think the successes would be coming that year, but it's been sort of the opposite in Texas's odd. But it seems sort of coincidental, even though the last – few times you've seen it happen you can almost feel like now maybe texas fans have like a post-traumatic stress syndrome it's just like it hasn't went well but it's like what's different in this situation and like you said rod uh, sarkeesian a guy that started out i mean he was the quarterback's coach and that was sort of his craft that he's honed and his position so it, you're already set up for a little bit more success in that situation and then when you add on to the fact with just modern quarterbacks now major was sort of the one that he was ahead of his time when of the real heady, you know, modern quarterback coming in and ready to go. And then the only recent ones, those were bizarre situations that played out, uh, not as Texas fans would have preferred, but looking at this season going forward, you got to love where it's at because if you were to be hiring, what do you want when you get a new coach? You want a clean slate and you want that type of idea. Like you would like to have a guy with experience and have a guy that comes in and nobody would say, hey, if Sam wanted to come back or if there was an incumbent senior, 
I bet Sark would be amazing with him the way he was with Mac Jones or somebody like that. But in this situation, when you're saying, oh, you got a quarterback's coach, a guy that has a skill in just developing that or getting great production, and then he gets to start with a quarterback from a clean slate, I can also see, like, organizationally, that's a way that you can really build success. So it could work out for Texas. Rod, I'm not going to disagree with anything you said. I, I agree with what you said. But the re- the reason why I don't have a lot of concerns about the quarterback position is you look at two of those situations. Fred Akers taking the job in 77 when he had, like I said, I think Mark McBath had four starts in the 76 season. And Mac Brown coming in in 98 where he had Richard Walton with a couple starts. Major Rappelwhite and Greg Cicero redshirted uh, in 97. What do those two coaching transitions had in common? He had Heisman Trophy winning running backs. And I'm not proclaiming B. John Robinson <laughs> winning the Heisman Trophy in 2021. But when you're breaking in a new quarterback, it really helps when you've got a guy in the backfield that has the school record for single season yards per carry, single game yards per carry already on his resume. And to me, Rod, when I look at uh, Stan Drayton and Andre Coleman, it's re- it really comes down to a prove-it year. Can you prove that – it was Tom Herman's heavy hand that resulted in your rotations being weird and your position groups not being maximized. And now under a new, a new coaching staff and an offensive-minded coach, a coach who's going to be the offensive play caller, can you now show your prowess as a position coach, not just as a developer of talent, but as somebody that knows, hey, player X needs X number of snaps or needs X number of touches, uh, can you show that that was on the previous regime and was something that was out of your control to where now you can really work with your position, develop it, and you can say, yes, Andre Coleman's getting the most out of the receivers and Stan Drayton's getting the most out of the running backs. So that, to me, is the challenge for both those coaches. Yeah, I always wonder how that works, man. It's so strange because if I'm a play caller and I have certain plays for certain guys, yeah. And it's so weird. Like I, so I, I know that the yeah the position coach at times, uh, you know, he controls the rotation of guys and when they play in the reps. But if I'm a, you know, you should think players, not plays, right, in crucial moments. So in crucial moments, I don't know, it was weird that in crucial moments, sometimes third downs, you know, important red zones situations that they wouldn't have their best players on the field. Those are the, uh, yeah. the specific football situations where I, as a play caller, would insist Whoa, 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 whoa. Now I need these guys. Yeah, okay, not I need the these eight. guys. These because I'm thinking players, not plays. And by the way, that's something that's how you know Tom Herman was sometimes just saying stuff for the hell of saying it. That's what he said. He said that's what Greg Davis taught him. Greg Davis taught me in crucial moments, think players, not plays. That's what he said after the Texas Tech game, after Texas had yep. the uh, game winning uh touchdown drive when Sam Mellinger threw it to Lil Jordan Humphrey in the corner. So I think that should always be the case in crucial football situations. And that wasn't always the case with Texas. And I don't know how much responsibility and how much burden that, that right. you know Stan Drayton had when it came to the rotations. I don't know if we'll ever really know that. I'm assuming Sark has resolved that and whatever Stan Drayton told him that it was, you know, it, to him it was good enough or at least it was justified that it, Stan Drayton wasn't the reason that Bijan Robinson was being underutilized and maximized, whatever that conversation was about. But I'm with you. That, to me, would be – I mean, that that was coaching, coaching mismanagement. That was coaching malpractice. I mean, that was gross yeah. imbecility. That's a, behind the eyes of Texas, you could argue Bijan <laughs> Robinson and his underutilization is why Tom Harmon's fired. 
because yeah. it was so obvious and people were so upset about it. I think they complained probably this, that was probably the second biggest complaint of the season behind the eyes of Texas for, for Texas fans was Bijan Robinson and why yeah. he wouldn't see the field more and why he wasn't getting the ball more. And it never changed and never improved. He was stubborn about it. And I think ultimately Tom Herman's stubborn attitude, his lack of flexibility, his rigidity is why he's gone. So I'm with you. I don't know what the deal is. I do know Bijan Robinson will be the identity of the offense this year. Uh, and you're totally right about whoever the quarterback is. It'll be a it will it'll be an easier, more comfortable transition because it's going to be all about Bijan and his 15 to 20 touches a, a game. Yeah. And however you can figure out how to do that. So, yeah, I don't know what the hell that is, man. That was weird. Uh, that was very strange. But we saw that with, with Charlie Strong, too, right? Remember the Deontay Foreman thing when mm-hmm. Deontay Foreman didn't start? He didn't even start the first game of the season <laughs> in his Doke Walker award-winning season. I he know, it's weird. Second game. He was averaging over five yards a carry. I think he was averaging like six yards a carry his sophomore year. And they, they didn't start him his junior year. <laughs> it's like, what the hell is going yeah. on? So, I don't know, man. Sometimes, like you said, coaching is – I mean, football is a – Simple game, complicated by simple men. And coaches, a lot of time, man, they just overthink it. Yeah, and they had to have in those situations because we were talking, I mean, after right before the Alamo Bowl happened and then right after the Alamo Bowl happened, we were just laughing that it would be like crazy that it's like you can really improve Texas uh, across the board. You can do a lot of things that previous coaches were not able to do, yet your ultimate fault not giving the ball to your best player. And it's like something that simplistic. And when fans can see that and that's what fans are yelling and clamoring for, then it comes down to it's like, well, what do you say you do here? Like these things are the process things that you can really eliminate a lot of those margins that you're barely losing in and you can make up for them. And when you look at the numbers, I know you and me, right, have texted back and forth on some of just the absurdities and we chronicled yep. all of them. The, I mean, the last two games that Bijan put together when he finally got a workhorse volume, I mean, that's good enough that he could have been, if he was getting that all year long, in New York or in theory in New York, there wasn't New York, but you get what I'm saying about the Heisman. Like, yep. that's the level of play that he was putting it at. He avoids tackles better than any player in the country and his top end, he's more explosive than all the other volume backs. There's no other volume back in the nation that can catch the ball the way he does and have the top end speed and the short space quickness. It's a combination of skills that I know it sounds maybe like hyperbole, but you don't even see Bijan's combination of skills in an NFL running back. There isn't one like him right now. You know, it's interesting, Rod, when you talk about the Deontay Foreman deal. I go back to Charlie Strong's first year, and there were people in the market that hammered me for this, uh, and and I don't take pride in being proven right because it just resulted in a bad product on the field. But I remember the game at K-State, Charlie Strong's first year. You remember that play where they ran a reverse, and it was Deontay Foreman supposed to pitch the ball to Jackson Shipley, and it ends up like being a fumble. Yes. turned it over. and. It was like, well, Deontay Foreman wasn't supposed to be the back in the game. Okay, well, who's responsible for it? And Sean Rob- Sean Watson saying publicly, uh, it's the position coach's responsibility. He wasn't supposed to be on that play. And then I'm hearing from sources inside the program saying, hey, don't blame that on Tommy Robinson. That ain't T-Rob's fault Deontay Foreman was in the game. He didn't. And I wrote a column basically just saying, I just want somebody in that offensive staff room to just stand up and take responsibility for something. Just yeah. somebody. I don't yep. care. Sean Watson, Joe Wickline, one of the GAs, I don't care who it is. Just somebody stand up and say, yes, I am responsible for the mess you saw on Saturday, and it will not happen. 
happen again. And nobody ever did that. And that was my big problem with Sean Watson is, well, well I mean, this is the hand we're dealt. This is, this is what we got to do. This is just the way it is. Well, and that's why he got demoted after game one in 2015. And the Sean Watson era was probably the most forgettable era of offensive football we've seen on the 40 acres, at least that I can remember. <laughs> yeah, can't it's, be on was, the same was, page there. That's insane to think about, like, position coaches and coordinators not being able to just know the simple, basic substitutional patterns or the idea that one could totally take away from the potential of you going tempo-based offense or anything. That's just absurd. But, guys, I think when we talk about this offense as a whole, to me that's what it comes down to is Steve Sarkeesian as the play caller. We know – it's not, we're not going to hear anything about collaborative effort or, well, in this situation, you know, Jeff Banks had a really good input, and he, he really called that play. No, it, it's, the buck stops with Steve Sarkeesian. Like, we know that. We're knowing, we're, we, we've got that out of the way up front. Like, it's Kyle Flood as the offensive coordinator who's doing things like scripting practices and whatnot, and Steve Sarkeesian calling the plays. Like, we know, at least we think we know from the outset what, the hierarchy is on offense, which to me is refreshing that we've gotten that out of the way and we know it up front. Transparency. It sounds like there's some ultimate transparency, and I think that was one thing that we maybe didn't fully see. We'd call it coach speak all the time and with Tom Herman, and you could see Herman almost his frustrations with having to divulge information with the media, which is very you know broad across all coaches. But in this situation, and I really think it does fit with where Sarkeesian is in his life and right now with being a guy that has a second chance and he's being totally honest and transparent and I got a feeling that it's how he is as approaching and when divulging information at least to this point it's speculation on my part but I really think he has yeah. been and appeared to be quite transparent yeah I don't, I don't know if I'd say trans completely transparent Matt but it's uh it's more it's more to that it's more in that category than I think what we saw at times from Tom Herman. Not, yeah, I, would think, I, I fully know agree. What we saw at times from Tom Herman. The proof's going to be in the pudding if it's if we get transparency or not. And, I, and you guys know, I mean, we've been doing this long enough. In college football, you don't get complete 100% transparency on anything in a college football no. program, especially a program like the one we covered. But, like, but just him in a is, press it, conference setting appears to be a little bit more transparent. I could be wrong, though. Rod, I want to touch real quick. It's a, it's a position we don't talk about much. Uh, it's the tight ends. And to me, the challenge for Jeff Banks is you kind of just got to figure out what you've got. I mean, that position has kind of been a mishmash of projects and developmental guys. And, uh, you know, it, it's they've Tom Herman wanted to feature it, and they did at times, but maybe not necessarily in a way that – that maximized what you had. I mean, I think they've really got something in Jared Wiley. You've got a dependable veteran. At least you kind of know what you've got with Cade Brewer. I just think especially with those younger guys, and Malcolm Epps is getting to the point in his career where he's not a younger guy anymore, but Epps, Braden Lybrock, even the two newcomers uh, with Gunnar Helm and Juan Davis, just figure out what you've got. And if those, if, if a couple of those guys can go help you at another position, man, go go let them go be football players somewhere else. I just think sorting out personnel is the biggest challenge for Jeff Banks. And I thought I read over at Horns 247 that uh, Sark was a little surprised by how many tight ends are on the roster, right, compared to yeah, wide receivers. Th yeah, this and year you're going to have six six scholarship tight ends, yeah. Okay, yeah, and just because different coaches have different roster management um, ideas, period. I mean, it's just the way mm -hmm. it is. 
I imagine Notre Dame and Iowa State has a ton of tight ends. Yeah. Because they have you know, three, they have a thirteen personnel package that they use. So I imagine they right. keep more Gotta than most teams. So yeah, exactly. So every every team has a different uh, management style in terms of the roster. I, I'm with you. I think you know that for the tight ends, yeah, if you can have those guys kind of an organic. Um, if he is going to change, you know, the tight end uh, kind of roster uh number if he is going to change that then yeah you can get a guy like jared wiley who was working at the um the jack position to us um to naturally go over there then yeah maybe that works out for you um it's it's interesting though for me when i was thinking about the the tight ends i wonder how much he's going to use his tight ends as in the passing game i don't know if there's been a lot of talk about sark's tight ends and what he likes to use them in the passing game and i wonder if that ends up coming up, you know, about the tight ends in the passing game and how he utilizes them. I haven't seen a lot of it. I don't think he has a history of, you know, weaponizing tight ends, really. And I think he uses them more as blockers. And I wonder at Texas, will that still be the case? Yeah. uh, You go back to his time at Washington. I think he had Austin Safarian Jenkins for a couple years. Before he took the SC job, but yeah, I mean, he, he really. He, rec- I, I think, I think it's probably dependent on personnel, Rod, because I, I thought the the Alabama, like the Alabama tight ends this year, they were used in the roles where you probably got the most out of those guys. I mean, Billingsley was more of a kind of a an, an H back uh, or, or maybe flex type guy that they used in the past game a little more. Uh, so yeah, I don't. I, I think they probably they weren't featured pieces of the offense. In other words. At least at Alabama, they were. Yeah, yeah, and sorry, I meant Reese Latow. I know I may have said Jerry Wiley, but I meant Reese Latow, like moving over to defense. So I don't know exactly what he's going to do with tight ends. That would be yeah. that. That to me is kind of a mystery. And Tom Herman loved tight ends. Was really obsessed with how they link the pro ideology and a spread philosophy together but he never really weaponized them he just liked having them around it was yeah. weird <laughs> doesn't make sense <laughs> like my dog like my i have a dog that likes like she likes toys but she doesn't te- tear them up she doesn't rip them to shreds she just kind of <laughs> plays with them how, how a little girl would dolls and she just collects them and that's how tom herman was with tight ends he never really use them he just wanted to collect really <laughs> nice tight ends and 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 different trying to projects at tight end and i never really i thought he was gonna i thought he was actually gonna end up running a lot of 12 personnel package even when he first got to texas we didn't really see that till this year um he started running a lot more 12 personnel and he started out the uh the utep game running i think more 12 personnel than they did 11 probably the first time in the history of tom herman's tenure at texas so it was it was weird his obsession with tight ends yet the lack of imagination to use them yeah, Wiley was a guy that we never really saw the top end from because he had flashed. But, you know, a guy like Brewer just seemed to be out there and it was a limitation of the top end of your offense. And that's sort of why when I look at Sarkeesian, it was like he understood where his personnels were at Alabama because Miller Forrestal was just a piece and you didn't see him featured really at any point, but they were on the field uh, able to do their job, but he funneled the usage to the yeah. outside. So it maybe be similar here at Texas with skill guys, but that's why when you have the top end talent like a Wiley, I really like seeing how Sarkeesian was able to use Billingsley whenever Forrestal was out for about a month and he featured him. And like you said, Jeff, and he's a more of a hybrid tight end, not your necessarily in line 
every down type guy. So uh, that's sort of one that I think Wiley could have a good potential in in this offense. Ryan, let me get your take on this before we switch and talk a little defense. Like, do, do any of those tight ends, like we talk all the time, like Andrew Beck and Jeff Swaim are two guys that have carved out, you know, pretty nice careers for themselves in the NFL. But they, they were both like elite blockers mm-hmm. coming out of college. And we saw that at Texas. Is there anybody in your mind that has an elite tool in the toolbox in this receiver group? Because I don't know that there is. Uh, if anybody's going to have it, it'll probably be with Jared Wiley. And Yeah. Mm, that's a great – yeah, that's a, and I don't know if he has an elite tool. We didn't get a, we didn't get a chance to see enough of him to determine whether he has elite catch radius right. or – he has elite hands or route running ability for a tight end. Like we really didn't get it because we just didn't get a chance. The sample size is too small. I bet he does have an elite tool somewhere. Hell, I haven't, you know, as a blocker, I thought he was a decent blocker. He didn't, you know, he wasn't pancaking guys, but he was effective in the offseason. You may see him develop an elite tool, but I'm with you. I don't know if you have a tight end right now that has an ex- exceptional skill within his, his his repertoire and his skill set. But you do have a lot of guys who I think could um, could really make your offense multidimensional. And I think Jerry mm-hmm. starts with Jared Wiley. Yeah. But now Kate Brewer can be a seasoned veteran for you too. But I, I think Jared Wiley can be a kind of a, a next level guy. I think Jared Wiley can be an NFL tight end. Yeah. If you can you know you can utilize him correctly. Because his it, yep. it's a broad tool, but just raw athleticism is his tool. Like he's a huge body that seems to be a lot faster and quicker than everybody else that normally plays his position. And he's that. I mean, if you can have almost the skill set of a wide receiver at that position and be able to line up and get on against linebackers and safeties all day, that's a chess piece that a guy like Sarkeesian just would love to be able to play with, especially if in the Big Twelve where those position groups are the, probably the smallest that you've ever seen, especially coming over from the SEC. True. So, guys, there's there's three position groups that I've just got with the biggest challenges. So we talked about receiver a little bit and mixed it in there with running back, but I've got just the, the, the key overriding theme uh, as develop. Just develop what's in your room at wide receiver, offensive line, and in the secondary. And I threw out the number last week, Rod. I don't know if you had a chance to marinate on this or think about it, but I ran down the list starting with the 2004 recruiting cycle. Texas has signed 41 blue chip offensive linemen. Uh, I love the Four and five star guys in the 24 7 sports composite. None of those guys, as of today, have been drafted. Uh, the only one that's uh, that's really carved out a significant NFL career that's gotten more than a cup of coffee, that'd be one guy, which is Trey Hopkins. Uh, nine of the, the good thing for Kyle Flood, though, even with Reese, with uh, Reese Moore going into the portal, nine of those guys are still in the program right now. It's Denzel Okafor, Junior Angulao, Rafiti Gramai, Tyler Johnson, Isaiah Hookfin, Jake Majors, Jalen Garth, Logan Parr, Andre Carrick. So – there's talent there, clearly. And we saw, I mean, heck, all five of your starters from the Alamo Bowl are back, and that doesn't include Denzel Okafor, who missed the game, and that doesn't include Derek Kerstetter, who's still you know, rehabbing the, the ankle injury. So you've got talent. You've got some depth. It's just can Kyle Flood do what Mac McWhorter and Stacey Searles and 
Joe Wicklund and Matt Maddox and Derek Wareheim and Herb Hand over the last decade. That's the, yes, that's the number of offensive line coaches Texas has had since the start of the 2010 season. Uh, can Kyle Flood do what those guys couldn't? In some cases, those guys didn't have enough time to do it and just take the blue chip talent that's already on your roster and just go develop it. Yeah, man, it's it's. I don't know what it is. It is a great mystery. Um, like you said, well, he's going to be the seventh O line coach now for Texas in since a decade. 2010. Yes. Uh, and and the talent has obviously been there because that stat you point out is mind blowing. It's stupefying. Yeah. And I got to tell you, these O line coaches, they weren't scrubs. Now Herb Hand, Herb Hand sold everybody a bill of goods, and I don't know how he did it, but now I think he's at Charlotte now. He's with the Charlotte 49ers because I think he's fell out of favor with the Blue Bloods and with the big time programs. Right. He went to he was at Penn State and he was at Auburn and Texas and didn't leave any of those places um, on a good note, in my opinion. He didn't leave those programs better than when he found them or when he got there. So I I think Herb Hand, I don't know, he might have just been a, you know, he might have just been a, a, I don't know, he might have been a fraud. Honestly, I, I, I don't know. I got to go look at his background, but I don't know how Herb Hand justified not being able to recruit any of the offensive linemen in that 20, what, 20, 2021 class, which is one of the best offensive line classes in recent history at, in Texas, in the state. And I don't know how the offensive line, <laughs> I don't know how they didn't learn how to pick up a twist or a stunt. Very true. Three years while he was here. And <laughs> they were just as bad at it when he got here. Uh, they were just as bad at it at being able to execute that blocking scheme when he left. That is just crazy to me. So I don't know what's going on with the O-line, man. I assume Kyle Flood's great, but people thought that Joe Wickline was great. People thought that Stacey Searles was awesome. People thought that Matt Maddox was a really good coach. Herb Hand, I know people had mixed reviews, but we've had good O-line coaches here before. Those guys weren't all scrubs. So uh, hopefully, Kyle, hopefully Kyle Flood can change the the narrative with the Texas offensive line. It'll already start if Sam Cosme gets drafted in the first round. But there's even some talk, guys, that he he's sliding in the draft, just like we talked about in the preseason. That if Sam Cosme's not a first round pick, then something yeah. horrible happened at Texas. Well, something horrible happened at <laughs> Texas. He might, <laughs> he's, not, he's not a guaranteed first round pick, guys. Yeah, I know. I've been hearing right. people talk. He's too light in the pants in uh, hearing. Just looking at the O line like that, I always love when I hear that phrase for an O lineman. But it is pretty crazy to think about that. And then when you add on the fact that talking about the blue chip aspect, this is sort of like what you would dream and envy if you're O line coach. Because if you get all the blue chip recruits, and then you're turning, hey, Connor Williams a three star, hey, Sam Cosby a three star, it turns into an NFL. That's when you can end up having a top end great O line because a guy like that exceeds expectations. Expectations, and then your blue chip guys just go out there and do what you need to do. It's like when you're trying to accumulate uh, a roster full of talent, those were the guys that you needed to get to just make the easy ones work out. It's sort of like the Bijan Robinson conversation we were having, where, like, yeah, just develop your best ones or give them the ball, and it could really help you out. So it just adds to those frustrations that Texas fans have whenever those seem to be the same storylines, no matter what staff or what situation. 
We'll uh, we'll, we'll hit the defense next on, on next week's show because I wanna I wanna wrap put a kind of put a bow on this conversation on offense. And you know when you as we sit here right now, we know that Texas and the staff they're looking for help in the transfer portal. Uh, they've got you know Ray Thornton, the LSU transfer. Who, I would think guys probably play. He could play inside linebacker or outside linebacker, just a, a body at that position uh, that they can figure out where to best use him. You know, offensively, they're they're looking at Eric Gray, the Tennessee transfer running back, and uh, if he's eligible immediately, that would help you a ton because you lose Keontae Ingram, and then you can't. I think that's the thing, guys, when you look at roster construction and where your scholarship numbers are allocated that to me almost i mean you can say okay add another body on the offensive line if there's a receiver there uh if there's a developmental quarterback i don't know there's a number of different things you could do offensively but to me guys with the keontae with keontae going into the portal you're in a position now to where you need to make sure you've got plenty of depth and talent at running back because you cannot be granted anybody that's not b john robinson it's going to be a step down but you can't be in a position where if you have an injury to B. John Robinson, your offense is just completely screwed. Like we've seen, And I say that because we've yeah. seen that in this program before, where if, if player X goes down, oh, my gosh, we don't have a game plan all of a sudden. Like you, you've got, That's why I like them pursuing Eric Gray. Uh, we've heard Gabriel Watson's coming back. We're, I still haven't heard firm on, on Daniel Young, whether he's coming back or not. We know Roshan Johnson's back, and if he's healthy, we've seen what he can do. But – Rod, that to me, I, I like them trying to load up at running back because you've got to make sure that that position just doesn't fall off a cliff in the event something happens to B. John Robinson. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. I agree with you. We all agree the identity of the offense has to be built around B. John, but you know, I'm knocking on some wood here. If something you know happens where B. John is not available or you do have to limit him uh, because of he's getting nicked up because the workload may be too much, then, yeah, you, that's why you need to, I think, and I agree with you, number one, about stockpiling running backs. But number two, I'd say, and I think Sark's going to do this, and I actually trust Sark's offensive mind when it comes to this, let's, let's layer that offense. Let's make it multifaceted and multidimensional. Yeah. Yes, I, yes, Bijan needs to be the best player, but uh, it needs to be the feature of the offense. But it needs to be multifaceted so that if something does happen, it's not worst-case scenario. So it does need to have – um, part of it as, you know, Jake Smith needs to be featured yes, to a certain yes, extent Whitting. and Jordan Whittington needs to be featured to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. If we Jerry Wiley takes that step, Jared Wiley needs to be featured to a certain extent. It needs to be able to evolve where, okay, yes, you have these, it, almost like Kansas City, right? Like, yeah, of course we have Patrick Mahomes, but, oh, don't forget about Tyreek Hill and don't forget about Travis Kelsey. Yeah. Oh, don't forget back here we do have Clyde edwards left. You know what I mean? It needs to have those different levels and layers yeah. so that, yes, you're not totally relying upon one guy. And his, what if he has a bad day? You're still screwed, mm-hmm. right? It needs to have those dimensions to it. Uh, so, yeah, I'm with you. I think, number one, stockpile the running back room, but as another uh, kind of fail-safe against – you know, the the potential downfalls of featuring one player too much and being over, overly reliant upon that player, I would try to make sure we are building a multifaceted, multidimensional offense that can feature a lot of different players. I know Sark's going to do that anyway. That's kind of his philosophy, but I make sure that that is a big part of you know, kind of your early transition and rev up is that, oh, it's not all Bijan. It's mostly Bijan. Um, but, you know, right. even when they stop Bijan, right, they're going to put eight men in the box to stop Bijan. You're going to have to, for God's sake. If you don't, it's going to eat you alive. And when you do that, it's got it's got to be able to counter and it's got to have a contrast to it. And I think, 
you'll have that with Sark. And that's why a situation where you can see just the disbursement of a multi-positional player when you're talking about cross-training somebody like, say, a Whittington or a Jake Smith, and it's not to be the backup running back, but it's to be in the situation where you're talking about, say, you don't get a grad transfer, you don't have a freshman emerge, and you don't have a backup that you don't prefer. Well, you don't have to go and give 95% to Bijan. He can keep his 80% or whatever, and then now you get little pieces of Whittington, a few snaps, a few snaps here, and you can manufacture that depth. You see it across sports, and you see it with the staggering of stars in the NBA. You see it across all sports and all sorts of different examples where, well, if you don't have a good backup, you don't necessarily need a guy at that position to provide the backup if you have the other guys being able to be functional and used in a way that then can supplement it and it can sustain you and then you can have the multi the option and actually become something that's a bit of more of a threat because on any given down that's a possibility because those guys are still on the on the field and it just gives you this multi-positional eligibility that in theory mathematically it really does it, it accelerates your upside yeah, real quick, guys. Uh, Rod, I'll, I'll, I'll get, let you get the final kind of the final say here on this deal. Uh, when you look at the wide receiver group, uh, I was wondering, I mean, do they need to go into the portal and, and get somebody? Because you know, you lose, you lose Brennan Eagles, Tariq Black. I don't know that he even had the option to come back. I mean, he posted on his Instagram on New Year's Day that he was entering the draft, and this guy that we were told wasn't even academically eligible for the for the Alabama. So I, don't even, I don't even know. Said I don't even know if he had the option to come back. Uh, but you, know, you awesome. look at you look at you look at what's lost, and uh, you know we'll see if a guy like Kennedy Lewis comes back. If a guy like Marcus Washington can get developed, there's some talent there. Do you think yep. they need to go in the portal to get a receiver, Rod? Or, I mean, with what they've got coming back from the young guys, Brennan Schooler's back for another year, do you think they've got mm-hmm. enough to make it work in year one? Yeah, I'm just going over in my head. they got a Brennan Schooler. they got a Joshua Moore. we got Jake Smith, Jordan Whittington, Marcus Washington. Is Alvante Woodard still around there? Alvante Woodard's back, yep. Alvante Woodard's back. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I think they should be open to that. They should be open to bringing in a graduate transfer wide receiver. Troy, Troy O'Meary uh, coming I, off the injury. Yeah, I forgot about Troy O'Meary. Can't forget about him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's um, I don't think it's a do-or-die situation. I don't, I don't know how urgent it is, but I would be open just for depth purposes of bringing in another wide receiver. But I think you're actually going to end up being pretty good. And I think wide receiver is going to be one of the positions that benefits the most from Sark coming in. His ability to scheme guys open. We've talked about that a lot. Tom Herman wasn't great at it, but Sark is going to be closer to Lincoln Riley as scheming his best players open. Use a lot of compressed formations. Use a lot of bunch formation. Use a ton of motions and shifts. You guys realize in that Kansas City game that Kansas City used uh, pre-snap motions and shifts 82% of the time is the highest rate of any team in the NFL this year yep. when they played against Buffalo. They just kept moving all the guys around, all their pieces around. Same plays, just a little eye candy before the snap. It's always good. I think Sark's going to be uh, in, in that realm when it comes to the cheat codes that gives guys uh, an advantage and gives them a higher chance of success. So, yeah, I think the wide receivers are going to benefit a ton from this Sark offense. Um, and I don't necessarily – I think you have the guys you need. I mean, between okay. Troll Mary, who is probably going to end up 
getting starting reps if he doesn't get hurt last year. And then Jordan Williams and Jake Smith, please teach those guys how to play more than just the slots. They are more, they're talented. <laughs> yes. Tell them, say, man, you are, li- if they don't want to play, say, man, you are limiting yourself. You know, in the NFL, you got to play everywhere now. It's positionless football, son. That's the future of football. You've got to learn how to play everywhere on the field. You do that, you manufacture depth, as Matt said. But Josh Moore, hey, you got you to gotta coach him up how to get off press coverage, all right? But he's going to be helped, too, because they're going to scheme him open more and put him in better positions to get freer releases. And, you know, between those kind of playmakers, hopefully a Marcus Washington or a Vontae Woodard. Or, and I actually like uh, a schooler, too. I just think he was used the wrong way. They they thought he was a great fade receiver for some reason. He was always running nine routes with Texas. I'm like, why is he always <laughs> running nine routes? Can he not run anything else? Is he really fast and I don't see it? Like, I never understood that. But uh, I think he'll be better utilized. So I think they got depth at wide receiver. I like the talent they have at wide out. But you have to cross-train Jake Smith and Jordan Whittington both, not only to work in the backfield, but to work outside and inside. You do that, and you've just gotten yourself a whole lot more depth at wide receiver. Yeah, you know, my party shot this week, Rod, on that to kind of wrap up your point. I looked at the Alabama depth chart. And, you know, Devontae Smith was listed first at the, at the X receiver, which typically X is your split in. You don't think of a guy like Devontae Smith being your X receiver. Yeah. Uh, jo- uh, John Mitchell was the, the Z. But, again, if you watch Alabama, none of that mattered. I mean, they're, nope. they're putting Devontae Smith in the slot. They're, nobody's the, the field receiver predominantly or the boundary receiver predominantly. I mean, they're they're moving those guys all over the place. It's just like, okay, we'll, we'll throw – it's almost like – Sark was saying, and, and Nick Saber was saying, look, we'll throw out a depth chart just to give you guys something to talk about, but it, we're going to line these guys up yep. any way we can to get them open. Doesn't really matter. Doesn't really matter what the yep. what the label on the depth chart says. We're not bound to that. Man, that's and I, that's, that's what I want to see. Just not, just don't be. That's and that to me is more of a Steve Sarkeesian issue than an Andre Coleman issue. Is just don't be so dang rigid with your receiver roles. Yeah, and the Agreed. positionless aspect right there. I mean, you talked about it, and you see the way that Sark used every single guy. It's the same thing with basketball and across all of football. It's like, no, they're going to line up in their ability to be at all three positions. It just gives a multiplication factor of possibilities that it just makes the consumption of the mind of the defense so much higher. Yep. All right, that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, we will talk. We talked about the offensive staff this week and uh, kind of where things fit. We'll do that next week with the defensive staff and looking at the position coaches themselves and kind of how the returning pieces might fit and what the challenges are for the coaches on Steve Sarkeesian's initial Texas coaching staff. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 104.9, 1019 AM, 1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can get Rod B on the triple option each and every weekday from 3 to 7. Shameless plug. You can also get myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get our archives, our classic interviews and shows. It's all available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. 
Get every episode of Longhorn Blitz anywhere you get your podcast. Just search Horns 24-7 Podcast, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify. Search Horns 24-7 Podcast to get State of Recruiting, the flagship, and Longhorn Blitz. Please subscribe and don't forget to like us and leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.